Jesus praying to his Father. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you have you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. As we look at this portion one more time, may you sink it even deeper into our minds and our hearts that we might not leave this place as we came, but we would leave with a greater love for Jesus and a greater love for your people and a greater love for your people who have yet to hear the word and to receive it. We pray that you would grant us faithfulness as we go forth because of your faithfulness here today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the whole chapter of John is about Jesus, who has accomplished everything as the Son of God, the Eternal One. And he is praying first for himself in verses 1 through 6, that he might be glorified with the Father, returning, resuming his session with the Father on the throne that he had from eternity. And after that, he begins praying for his people, that all that who he is and all that what he has done and all he is about to do on the cross and in the grave and in the resurrection, all that would be for our good and his glory. That's what the chapter is about. As we saw in the first installment, the big sweeping overview, here's what he did. 
He basically repeats in this prayer what he's been telling them. In other words, he prays his word. And that's the reason we talk a lot in, in our circles about this is what we do in worship. We read God's word. We, we, we hear God's word read. We listen to God's word read. We pray God's word. We sing God's word. And we leave this building to obey God's word. Jesus set the example in this prayer of praying the word. Well, we've seen in the past two installments in this portion, verses 6 through 19, the disciples' status, they're his. They were chosen before the foundation of the world. That's who they are. Second, we've seen their security. I took care of them while I was here, Lord. I guarded them. I've lost none of them. And then he makes that statement because somebody, there's always going to be someone. Well, what about Judas? Yeah, but Judas was never one of us. God had a purpose in that. Judas fits the 1 John 2.19. He went out from them because he was never really of them. He served his purpose in God's eternal plan. Jesus didn't lose him. So he makes that point. But our security, and this is something you, you've, you've got to come to deal with, folks. You'll always struggle with your security, with your standing in Christ, if it's about you. Right? If it's about you, if it's about your faithfulness, if it's about your faith, you'll always struggle. But everything we've seen in the book of John is the same thing that we see everywhere else in the Bible. It's not about you. It's not about me. As we're going to come to the baptismal waters in a bit, it's not about you. It's not about these babies' obedience. It wasn't about Adam's obedience two weeks ago. It wasn't about Jacob and Amy's obedience uh, four weeks ago. It's about God's faithfulness. So beautiful those lines, that hymn, it appears to be, that, that Paul sets forth in 1 Timothy, when we're faithless, he is faithful. That's the Christian message. That's the gospel message, is that he is faithful, even when we're not. The parents, the Longs, the St. Vincents, the Schmitz, they will be faithless sometimes. They will fail. Now, I don't have any knowledge of the Longs having failed, but I bet you Sister could tell us some stories. The same about the St. Vincent's. I know I saw them someplace right out here earlier. Ah, there. And uh, family, I'm sure you've got stories of failure. I won't even address the Schmitz. But our God is always faithful. That's what these waters are about. That's what this table is about when we, when we enjoy the Lord's Supper every month. It's his faithfulness in sending his son, in receiving the work of his son, 
in receiving his son back to his right hand in all power, majesty, and glory, and in sending his son again one day. It's all about his faithfulness. Our security, our standing with God is about his doing, not ours. And once you get a grip on that, you say, wow, this is about Christ. This is not about me. Then you can rest. So we saw that. Our status, our security, and now Jesus moves to our sanctification. The great high priest declares the disciples sanctification, 13 through 9. I want you to notice in the outline, I make it a statement of certainty, don't I? Sanctification is not an if, it's a yes and amen in Christ. We will grow in grace. Now, will everyone grow at the same rate of speed? Nope. Why did God do it that way? I want to give you Sinclair Ferguson's answer. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why God chose to sanctify us differently at different rates. Some more, some less. But he did, and that's okay. But we move to sanctification. That's what 13 through 19 is all about. And it's interesting that Jesus, in moving to this sanctify them in truth, your word is truth, Lord. He revisits. He revisits everything he said already. So, so when your pastor repeats himself sometimes, don't complain. It's probably because we all need it. Said again. Jesus has already said, but now I come to you. But he says it again. We could go back just in this chapter to verse 11. I'm no longer in the world. That's how certain his ascension is. He could say it definitively, I am no longer in the world, even though he was standing right there, kneeling right there, perhaps, in the garden praying. And yet, the plan of God was that he would ascend back to the throne. And it was certain in Jesus' mind, in his heart, in his prayer, I am no longer here. And then he goes on to say, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. We've seen this theme all the way through the book of John. That he has come from glory, and he is going to return to glory. That, that's the re- repeating theme, one of the repeating themes in the book of John. He came, he's going back. He's going to accomplish what he came for. He's going to return. And that will be a sign to the world that he accomplished everything he came to do. But notice there's something else that's already been set forth in the book that comes back up. I've given them your word. Oh, let's don't miss in verse 13, by the way. I came 
into the world, and now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world. Why? What's the purpose of all that Jesus has been saying, but particularly this one thing that he descended and he is going to ascend so that our joy, did you notice that? So that they may have my joy made full in themselves. We've already seen this. You can go back to chapter 16. This is one of the things the Lord's been teaching already is that we are to have joy. Isn't it interesting? The work of Jesus is to produce joy in us. Not arrogance, not boastfulness, not self-praise, but joy. The native response when we have something, the native natural response is pride and arrogance and self-credit. Yeah, I worked a long time for that. You have no idea what I went through to get that. I mean, that's just the natural fallen response to having something. We forget the scriptures say that none of us have anything that we were not given. And particularly when it comes to salvation. Earlier in the prayer of invocation, I incorporated Hebrews chapter 12 that he, the shame, the agony, the pain of the cross, he counted it all joy. You see, he procured for us joy. That's the supernatural response to what we have in Christ is joy. About every time I read a passage in the Bible about joy, I think of Ken Center's adult Sunday school class on joy a few years back. And I suspect some of you in this room do as well. And if you know Ken, giddiness does not describe him. But joy does. It's a gift of God. It's one of those gift fruit of the Spirit. Remember in Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, etc. That's the purpose of his coming and of his going back to the Father is our joy. And then we move on. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. But notice this. That's so, you know, that's almost, you're like, oh, wait, there's a disconnect here. Jesus says, I've given them your word, and the world hated them. Those people must have really taken the word seriously. I mean, Jesus says in the, elsewhere in the gospel, that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. 
Now, persecution can run in a lot of different directions at a lot of different degrees. So don't think about going to the stake and being burned or being drawn and quartered as some of the Marian martyrs were. It can be in other ways. You lose your job because you won't work on the Lord's Day. It's not a work of necessity or mercy, so I won't do that. Well, I'm sorry, you can't work here then. Well, that's persecution for your faith. But you didn't, you didn't get scorched in peanut oil. I don't mean to make light of the death of some of the saints past, but your persecution will be different in this culture today, no doubt. But there might come a time, because there are saints all over the world today that are dying physical deaths. You can read of it in the, in the Sudan desert for the last 25 years. We can go behind the green curtain of Islam and find countless stories of saints who have given their lives. You say, what's this got to do with sanctification? Well, really, it has everything, obviously, because the Lord brings it all together here. These are not disjointed. These are not little individual sayings here. He says they're going to be hated. They're going to be persecuted. And then he says this. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. If you're expecting some kind of relief from this, don't. The only relief is the spirit of the living God. The only relief is grace and mercy, and that's sufficient. The prayer of the Lord is, Father, don't take them out. There are actually people who live today praying that they get taken out. You're not going to win that prayer battle. I'm sorry. Jesus prayed contrary to you, and he's going to win. But he does pray that we be kept from the evil one. And that should be all we need, right? Jesus prayed that we be kept by the Father in the loving hand of the Father. And that should be sufficient for us all. And then he tells the Father again, they're not of the world. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. Jesus is even now, we're told in Hebrews 7, interceding for us. I suspect, I can't say this pit bull dogmatically. I won't, I won't die over this one. But I think I have biblical basis for being 99.9% obnoxious about this that one of the things he intercedes for us continually is they are not of the world father even as I am not of the world you ever think about that 
that the Lord Jesus Christ does not see us as he sees the world. He does not, he does not observe us as he observes the world. We just saw, heard him pray earlier, telling the Father, I, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying on behalf of the world. I'm praying for the people you gave me. And so the son is saying to the father, even now, not just then, but even now, they're not of the world. Look at them, father. They're not out there. They're in here. They're right there. They're gathered to worship you and me and the spirit. They're not of this world. Isn't that wonderful? Just think about it. It used to make me feel so good when my dad would introduce me. He said, that's my son. He was saying, he's not yours. He's mine. And now, now, I get to be introduced as, oh, you're Ian's dad. You're Sophie's dad. You're Edmund's granddad. You're Evie's. Yeah, yeah. We're distinguished. But how much better to be distinguished by the Lord Jesus Christ? They're not of the world, Father. They're ours. Now, did the Father need to know that? Well, no. But the but the son said that for our benefit. We're loved by the father. Well, if they're not of the world, even as the Savior is not of the world, then they're going to look different. It's going to be obvious that they're not of the world. And how can that be? Through sanctification. We're different because we're holy. We're holy because we've been regenerated and the seed of holiness has been placed in us. That's the reason we're called saints. That's what the word is. We talk about growing in grace. We talk about holiness. We talk about sanctification. We talk about being saints of the Lord. It's the same root word. We're holy. We're holy. Peter wrote that we're to be holy as he is holy. So we're not only holy already in our state, our status of holiness, but we're growing more and more holy. So we often talk about in theology definitive sanctification. We are definitively holy. That's a done deal. The Father declared it because we're in Christ Jesus. But then the Bible calls us to be being sanctified, to be being holy, 
to progress in this. Listen, listen to what our, our larger catechism says on this. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's grace. Now that's distinguished from justification and adoption. Justification and adoption are God's legal declarative work. He declares us not guilty, justified. He declares us adopted, no longer aliens and enemies. But then when it comes to sanctification, he not only declares us sanctified, but then he begins to work in us to make us that, to make us more holy. Sanctification is a work of God's grace whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time, history, through the powerful operation of his spirit applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts and those graces so stirred up, increased and strengthened as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. That's what the Lord is praying for us right here, for all of that. For sanctification. We're not of this world, so we're going to look differently. We're going to talk differently. And how does that come about? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Wait a minute. In chapter 14, Jesus said, the spirit is truth. Which is it? Yes. The word is truth. God said it. That settles it. But we also have to reckon with the fact that the spirit is the spirit of truth. So the word is the instrument, the means, and the spirit is the agent of our sanctification. So the spirit takes the word, which is truth, and he guides us into all that truth. Right? For those who have been here, you remember that. We saw that from John 14 through John 16. The spirit of truth. One of the things the spirit does for the church is guide us into truth. He teaches us. And this is such a, such a all-sufficient, wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. John even says, and this is, this is a really peculiar passage that people have taken and gone way off into the cornfields with. John says, you've all received the anointing. That's the Holy Spirit. So much so, he says, that you don't need a human teacher. And yet, John was teaching them. By writing the letter, he was acting as a teacher. So he wasn't saying, you don't need human teachers. He was just saying, the work of the Spirit is so powerful Compared to human teachers, there is none. So the agent of our sanctification is the Holy Spirit. That's the reason we pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Word does not need illuminating. 
our dull senses do, our cold hearts do, our stiff necks need massaging and loosening up. And that's the work of the Spirit. He's the agent. He takes the Word and He brings it to life in us. And that transforms us. John, if you've read the letters of John lately, as we've been going through the book of John, the gospel according to John, you've probably noticed, goodness, John picks up a lot of themes from the gospel and applies them in his letters. Well, why not? What better to do than just repeat the Savior? And so he goes into detail, for instance, talking about we're supposed to keep the commandments, obey the commandments. They won't be burdensome to us. Why? Because of the anointing, because of the Spirit, because of the Spirit of truth who's at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So we grow in grace. And this, so that he gets all the credit. There's a wonderful passage. Listen to this. Listen to this. You say, okay, so the agent of our sanctification is the Holy Spirit. The instrument, the means whereby he sanctifies us is the word. And I would say the word primarily because you Sunday school teachers are also means of grace, means of sanctification, because you're taking the word and teaching. You're not the agent. Only the Spirit can make it, make it work in us. But you Sunday school teachers are. The pastors are. Catechism teachers. You parents are as you teach your children the Bible. But you're just a means toward our sanctification. The Spirit's the agent. But ultimately, the Spirit's work backs up on the work of Christ. The Spirit is simply working to make true in us what Jesus Christ procured for us. You say, well, okay. Is there a verse that says that? Yes, there actually is. You know, sometimes you have to go and pick here and there and pull all the organic unity of the Bible together to... But on this particular point, there is just one verse. Let me read it to you. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By his doing is the Father's doing. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification And redemption. Wow. So the Holy Spirit is the agent who takes Christ's work of wisdom and justification and sanctification. And indeed the whole work of redemption which encompasses glorification. And he applies it to us and makes it true in us. So that no one can ever say there's a dis. Well, Jesus did this, but I'm not seeing it out here. No. 
Jesus did it, and the Holy Spirit's making it evident in our lives. Why? Well, so we go to heaven. That's not what Paul says. Paul says he did all this for his own glory. Go read Ephesians chapter 1. Now, that's not how he follows it here, but it's the same point. He says all of that, Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, there's the purpose clause, just as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Go back to John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Do you get it? He sanctified himself. He made himself holy, holy, holy in his God-man-ness so that we might also be holy and sanctified. No one can boast. You're growing in grace. You're better today than you were yesterday, better today than last week, better today than last year, better last year than the year before. It's because Jesus sanctified himself. It's because Jesus did it. And all we say is praise God. I hadn't been here long, and I said this, and most every one of you have took it to heart and have been so nice not to compliment me in the least. But I said this. When I'm out in the narthex, I said this at the old building. Bradley is back there scratching his head trying to remember, okay, of all the things he said, which one is he about to pop off with here? Well, it's this. When you come out, please don't say what a wonderful sermon Please don't say, oh, that was beautiful, Pastor. Just say, praise God. I don't want the credit. I don't deserve the credit. If there's any credit to be had, if there's any good that came out of a sermon, it's for him. He's the one responsible. The Spirit is the agent. Christ is the one who procured it. God the Father is the one who is in heaven ruling over all things. Praise God. Praise God for our sanctification. And then we pray to God when we realize, you know, I'm, I'm not honoring him like I ought to. I'm not growing like I should. The reason we, in, reason we encourage you to read your Bibles, there's daily Bible reading guide out in the narthex on that table. There are Ligonier magazines out there, and that includes not only the devotionals, but daily reading guides in them. The reason we promote this is for your sanctification, for my sanctification. The reason we read Old Testament, New Testament, the reason we pray God's word, the reason we sing God's word is for our sanctification. This is not pharisaical promptings. This is holiness. This is about holiness. By the way, the only way you can read your Bible is to have your Bible. And that's not Pharisaism. That's a love for God and his word. 
His word is the power of God unto salvation. His word divides the marrow even from the bone. In other words, the word of God sorts us out in all of our needs, in all of our being. That's why we promote the Bible around here. That's why I tell people, if you come to Covenant, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a church that prays the Bible, preaches the Bible, teaches the Bible, sings the Bible. We go out to do the Bible. Because that's where sanctification will be had is in the word of God. With the agent as being the Holy Spirit applying the word to our whole beings. So, are you growing in grace? Do you, do, do you see yourself as, as the recipient of the agent work, the Holy Spirit working in you to make God's word alive in you, through you, to others? Are you holy? And are you growing in holiness? That's the real test of a Christian. It's not, did you believe in Jesus sometime in the past? Did you walk an aisle? Did you sign a sheet? It's, are you growing in holiness? At the heart of holiness is love for Christ more and more. Father, thank you. We ask you to bless now your word for our good and your glory. We thank you for Jesus who did it all so that we might have it all. And we pray in his name. Amen.